You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. When all the situation in the Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia kind of came about, I think a lot of people were caught off guard because they didn't realize what was going on. And... And I thought, it just like, where did this come from? But if you didn't know, the conflict is we, half our meals we cook in, in an instant pot with heat and pressure. Between Ukraine and Russia, this thing's been pressure, under pressure for years, and it's been, it kind of reached a boiling point. The Christians there, especially in the eastern part of the Ukraine, were prepared for war even before it happened. In fact, the, uh, what's called the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary, he, uh, the, the, the president said this, churches have already agreed that those who are on the western part of the Ukraine, those who were relatively safe from a war, they told their brothers and sisters in other parts of the Ukraine that if something happens, we will open our homes and our churches to you. But Baptist churches in the eastern Ukraine, those who were at risk would go underground if Russia decides and succeeds in taking, taking control of that part. This is before the war, so they knew it was coming. Taking control of that part of the country. And he said this, if you, have, you have to understand that historically we had that experience before under the Soviet Union. So the church did not forget what does it mean to be persecuted. And I think that we will rearrange, reorganize, and still do what we always do. Still preach the gospel. You see what's happening? The circumstances are about to radically change, and they did. Nothing changes, though, in how we respond to that. We're still going to do what God has called us to do, which is preach the gospel, now more than ever, because this is now the time when people need to hear it. (laughs) And I look at examples like that, and how do you do that? I mean, I get frazzled when someone writes a moderately angry email. Right? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't even like these people. I'm just kidding. I get frazzled when I get an email. Not when a war is at the doorstep. How do you respond like that? When you're facing not just loss. I mean, we talk about loss, and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that when a fam- we lose a family member or something like that. But we're talking about your whole life and society coming apart. Everything that you know and take for granted is about to crumble at your feet. Your business, your home, even the government that is over you is about to crumble at your feet. We're talking about more than just personal loss. How do you respond like that? Psalm 46 gives us a little bit of insight. So if you've got a Bible, go to Psalm 46. Follow along as I read. It says this. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation or his home of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And it says the nations rage. We heard that last week. The kingdoms totter, they come apart, they fall over, and he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, he burns chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And he repeats again, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist begins, I'm I'm going to try and be a lot quicker than I was last week on this. I just want to walk through this psalm. The psalmist begins with a radical, really bold, almost impossible statement. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, our response is that we won't fear. Though everything is crumbling, though everything falls away, we're not going to fear. You know, it's a nice thing to say and it's a nice thing to sing. But I'm scared of every, I wake up afraid of what's going to happen that day. Though the earth falls apart, we're not going to be afraid. It's an almost impossible statement. It's challenging our, I think it challenges our just initial reaction that those who say, we're not going to be afraid, we're not, we're Christians, we can handle anything. Because we believe in God, we have faith. But the obvious question is, how? How are we supposed to not be afraid? I hope some of you are like me, that you basically live with constant fear of what's going to happen. Anyone with me on that? You basically are worried about everything that possibly could go wrong in your life. (laughs) The answer isn't going to be found in some circumstantial change, some circumstantial evidence. The psalm doesn't even calm down. In fact, it ratchets up the problem. And it challenges, I think, that we just say, well, yeah, we're we're Christians. We're, We're not supposed to be afraid. And it challenges that assumption that it's so easy to say. It's like, oh, really? What if an earthquake comes? What if everything falls apart in front of you? You're still not going to be afraid? It's like, it's like the, the, the Sunday to Monday syndrome that we all live as Christians where we sing things on Sunday, but then Monday morning we wake up. And it really doesn't affect how we live, right? We still wake up afraid. In the psalm, what's assumed is that there's an inevitability of chaos in life. Verse 2 says, though the, the, I will not fear, but it says, though the mountains be moved into the heart of sea before, it says, though the earth gives way, the mountains shake in verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there's an inevitability of chaos in our lives and in the world. What I think it's doing is it's channeling the experience of an earthquake, even though it literally just doesn't just mean an earthquake. When it says the earth gives way, I believe that's what it's kind of channeling that same experience. Where everything's shaking, there's nothing you can do, and (laughs) cracks open up into into the earth. There's nothing you can do to control it. It shakes, there's chaos. And in the Middle East, of course, they would have been familiar with the experience of an earthquake. And probably when you're thinking about chaos in life, that's the closest thing you can, you can think of. Like when an earthquake happens. The whole feeling of this psalm as you go through it, right, as I've read, it feels like everything's coming undone. It feels like everything is coming apart. Verse 2 and 3, as I just read, by natural means, like everything's just coming apart. And then verse 6, later on, it says, the nation's rage... The kingdoms, they, they totter. So societally, 
they're coming apart as well. Last week, we looked at the meaning of, in Psalm 2 when it says, why did the nations rage? Well, rage is like anger that has completely come apart. It's like a bull that you try to tame that, that's trying to kick you off. That there's nothing you can do to tame it. That's what rage is. It's anger that's not used for a just cause, but it's anger that's come apart. You know, it's going to hurt people. It's, it's going to take everybody else in its pa- out in, in its path. I'm going to use this word even though I don't think it's a real word. Psalm 46 has this feeling of uncreation. It's like, you know, God created the world and put order and rhythms and beauty in it. And, and now we see in our experience of the world that everything's almost going backwards in reverse. It's being uncreated. It's coming apart. It's emblematic of the chaos in life, the things that we took for granted, they're acting in reverse. And the, the, the question is, the inevitability of chaos in our life, I mean, if a mountain can shake, what does that mean for you? Like if a mountain that's so stable, you look at it in the rise, it's so stable and strong, what could shake a mountain? But if a mountain itself could shake, what's that mean for Aaron? The things that I take for granted, the things that I think are going to remain stable. If a mountain can shake... Man, so can Aaron Ottaway. That's what fear does, though. This is what fear does. To the unhinged world, our reaction is an equal unhinging of our place and purpose in it. That's why I don't think it's just like, don't be afraid. I think the feeling of the psalm to an unhinged world that's coming apart is fear that also comes apart, where I would, I would translate it as panic. Like, we respond to an unhinged world, sometimes with panic. It's fear that's coming apart at the seams. It's where we lose what is good and right. And as soon as some of the things we assumed were stable become unstable, we panic. And the things that we thought were good and right are now thrown in the trash. What tends to happen when we panic is that, and when our world panics, is that ethics are thrown in the trash for survival. All of a sudden, it doesn't really matter whether it's good or right. I see you have to survive. That's what happen, happens in a panicked world. Ethics are thrown in the trash in the name of survival. So as soon as we start to panic, like when a fire begins, we lose how we're supposed to treat one another. You know what I mean? If a fire happens and there's like a whole bunch of people packed into an area, what's going to happen? People start trampling over each other unapologetically. Why? Because I'm trying to save my life. I'm panicking. doesn't make it right. But that's what happens, right? When a world panics, when you and I panic, all of a sudden the things, the way that we're supposed to treat one another, all of a sudden unapologetically, I don't have to treat you that way because I'm just trying to save my life. You see what I'm saying here? It's when fear comes apart and in a response to a world that's coming apart. It's what I've, again, I don't think this is a word, it's called uncreation. Everything's coming in reverse. We're losing what it means to be human, created in the image of God. I don't want to make a statement. Please don't tweet this out. I haven't thought about this much. 
<laughs> this is like what you don't do, especially online. But without morality, without ethics, there's not much that separates us from it being animalistic, just reacting on the basis of survival. Without morality, which we believe comes from the character of God, nothing really separates us from being simply animalistic. We've lost what it means to be the image of God, and we're acting on instinct alone. You know, there's this horrible description in the book of Lamentations. Anyone read the book of Lamentations before? Aaron's like smiling, weirdly. It's a sad book, Aaron. He's like, yeah, I've read that book. It's like a terrible book, but he likes it. I don't know if I can trust that, Aaron. I'm just kidding. Lamentations, there's this, it's a really starkly sad book of a panicked people. The context of Lamentations is that uh, the people of God are, 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 are trapped in Jerusalem. They've done battle against the nation of Babylon. Real story, done, ba- done battle against the nation of Babylon, and now Babylon's army has the city surrounded for weeks, and they're stuck. Can't get any food in, can't get any resources in. They're starting to run out of food. You, you know what's starting to happen. And there's this description or lament of God's people. Chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says this statement. Happier are those who have already died than those who are in panic. Because they didn't have to see what we've come to. Happier are those who died in battle than those who still survive in the city. I mean, it gives this crazy description that there's a panic going on in the city that, that even those who, who once were compassionate, and it even says this in Lamentations, you can look at this up in 4 verse 10, it says they started to cook and boil their own children out of desperation. We think we're good people until we panic, right? Like we think we'll do the right thing until the world starts giving away then all of a sudden it doesn't matter and our ethics get thrown out the window? How do we respond when everything's crumbling around us? God's creation from mountain ranges, weather patterns, down to the very heart of mankind is being uncreated. It's coming apart. Here's the key of the psalm, though, okay? Here's the key of the psalm, which is why I wanted to sing A Mighty Fortress, Andrew. Here's the key that the psalm is challenging. It's not in finding some different circumstance. The church in the Ukraine, there's nothing they can do to stop a a war with Russia. There's nothing they can do about it. It's going to happen. Here's the key that the psalm is challenging. It's not found in circumstance. It's not found in numbing your experience. It's not found in running and hiding either. How do you respond with we won't fear? Well, here's the challenge that is for all of us is what is your fortress in life? That's, that's the key question in the passage. If you want to respond without fear and not in panic, the question is, what is your fortress? Where do you go to find safety and security? If you look at the psalm, it says, God is our refuge and strength. And then later on, he repeats the same lines. Uh, repeats the same lines. uh, The Lord of hosts in verse 7 is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Then again in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our 
fortress. When everything around you is going up in smoke, where do you go? Where do you run to? You know, the, the meaning of fortress is that simply that which offers you rest. When everything is caving in, where do you go to for rest? Where do you go that you say, this is stable, this will never give way? Everything else might be going, might be up in smoke around me, but where is the asylum that I go to where I can find rest and comfort? It's like we've got a, we've got a robin who built a nest outside of our back door. It's really inconvenient because it freaks me out every time I leave our back door because we open and the robin takes off every time because we spook it. But now it's starting to get used to it. Uh, but it didn't really like when I took a picture of the eggs either. So I think it's got a vendetta against me as well. But regardless, I kind of think the, 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 the key of fortress is these eggs which are completely helpless. They are at the mercy of the elements, of coldness, rain. Key threat, if you didn't know this, is the blue jay. Okay? Did you know that? Blue jays are the neighborhood bullies. Okay, so everyone knows. Blue jays are, blue jays will eat baby birds, just so you know. Next time you see a blue jay, it's beautiful. It's the bully of the neighborhood. Okay? It's true. I witnessed a blue jay take out a cardinal nest once. It was a sore, it was a horrible sight. But kind of the picture is the only thing protecting those eggs is that robin sitting on the nest with its wings spread out. You know, every time it goes, it kind of like nestles in. You can see it nestle in every time, spreads its wing. You know, every, when, you, when you read a psalm like Psalm 57, it talks about that we're hiding under the shadow of God's wings. That's the picture that's enacting that we are helpless in and of ourselves to control the situation and the elements of life, and we're hiding under the shadow of God's wings. We're basically trusting in Him. That's the meaning of Fortress, this is why this is so important. Because our assumption is that the fortress is always going to remain stable. Our assumption is that the fortress, whatever it is in life, and you need to think about this right now, where is it that I run to when everything else gives away? The assumption is that the fortress is what's going to remain stable for me. It's not going to crumble. Everything else might crumble as long as I've got this. It won't change. It will always be there for me. Like it says at the beginning of Psalm 46, in reference to God, he's our refuge and strength. He's a present help in trouble. Whatever our fortress is, that's what we assume it's going to be. It's going to be there when everything else is caving in. It's going to be that help in trouble that I go to, no matter what's going on. I've got this. I can handle it as long as that doesn't crumble. The problem of the psalm is the assumption, the inevitability of life is that even the fortresses that we assume we have in life begin to crumble as well. We, and we can't control it. Whether that's a job. Some of you at the beginning of COVID thought, my job is stable as long as I've got that. My bank account's going to be healthy. I'm going to be able to save up for a home. We're going to be good until you lost your job. And all of a sudden, it wasn't as stable as you thought it was. Some of you assume that maybe it's government. I'm sure there are many people in Ukraine who thought the government is stable as well. Until it wasn't. For some of us, maybe it's my own health. Everything else has been going on, but I'm healthy. Until you're not. 
Maybe it's my family. You know, everything else might be caving in around me, but my family's always going to be there, right? That's my fortress. That's my rock. Man, as some of you have lived, until it's not. And then what do you do? And the natural response is to what from Psalm 46? Panic. Because even my fortress is, is crumbling. Even, guys, my very life, as long as I've got that. But the inference of Psalm 46, <laughs> like that mountain in the horizon, we can think this is stable. This is never going to shake until it does. And if a mountain can shake, what does that mean for me? That's why when life shakes, we panic. When their fortress is threatened, and I'm going to do anything I can, including evil things that I never thought I would do, to make sure it's still there. So where do we go? Well, Psalm 46, the encouragement is the nation's rage, the kingdom's totter. In verse 6, he uttered his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, and this is the fortress that we are encouraged. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I can't take too much time here, but I just want to kind of bring some things out. It says, he speaks, he utters his voice in verse 6, and the earth melts. What I think that's going on is it's an upheaval of the earth's systems and structures. Similar to what's going on if you know your Bible, but if you don't, that's fine. At the beginning of the Bible, you can look this up after in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 1 and 2, it says, really interesting, and don't don't, please don't ask me to completely describe it. I have no idea exactly what's going on in Genesis 1 verse 1 or even what existed before the Bible starts. I I have no idea. But it says this in verse 1 that the earth was formless and void. The sense is that it was chaotic. There was just chaos that reigned. You know what happens in that chaos? What happens in in Genesis 1 verse 1 and 2? God what? He speaks into it. God speaks into it. Let there be light. And the inference isn't just like physical light, but let there be truth and order and beauty in this world. Same kind of thing is happening here in Psalm 46. It's like God speaks into the chaos and brings order and truth. That's what we talk about when we talk about creation. Not just the physical things that we can see, but the things that we take for granted, like order and structure and rhythm and rest and all of those things that we know and enjoy in life. God speaks and it ushers into this world. He creates order from chaos. That's why it says in verse 9, he makes war cease. He breaks bow. He shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. He brings all of those things to an end. He brings, he creates order from the chaos that is existing. That's why we believe this, that following God's word and following God's will isn't just like a heavy strain upon us. It's like, you need to obey God or else. It's like, no, God is through his word trying to create order into your life from the chaos that exists in my own heart. He's trying to bring truth to you. 
he brings order. Secondly, and I, I could say more, but sec- I got to move on. Secondly, there's this really almost like, it's weird that it's in there, but I, it's, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go more into detail. Next week, Colin's speaking on Psalm 47, then I'm going to be in Psalm 48. And we're going to talk about in Psalm 48, the city of God. But right here in this passage, in two verses, it says, I want to go to, go to verse 4 and 5. It says, there's this river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation, or the home of the, mo- of the Most High, the home of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. It says, it's this description of the city of the God and in the midst of all this chaos that even now in that city, because the presence of God is there, we find joy, we find rest, but there's more going on when it talks about rivers bringing in joy. There's almost this sense that it's describing the Garden of Eden. Like where rivers were feeding Eden, where the presence of God was, where everything was good and ordered and, and stable and peaceful. Where is this city? Is it in Jerusalem? Is it in Rome? Is it in Cambridge? No, it's in the presence of God, wherever the presence of God is. The city is where God is present and his will is made reality. The people are following his will and his word and it's marked by peace in a world at war where where we act in love in a world that hates and we move forward in a hope in a world that is full of cynicism. Oh, I can't get into all of this, but Israel was supposed to be that place. Israel in the people of God was supposed to be that place where God was present and the people were following him and there would be peace in a world that was at war. And now as a church, we have the same call. In a world that's full of chaos, we are called to have peace here because God is with us. Where we experience joy and rest, where creation not uncreation. Creation is restored and on display. A church where God is present and where his will is reality. If God is our fortress, that's what this looks like in a world that's chaotic. We have God. Okay. I'm almost out of time and I went too long last week, so I'm going to end. So what do we do? There's one application found in this passage. Verse 10. So what do you do with all that? Okay, God is our fortress. Great, we're not going to fear. So what do you do? Verse 10, it says this. Be still and know that I am God. That's what it's telling you to do. Be still and know that I am God. The sense is, in all of this chaos and undoing and wars existing, it's, like, it's almost like a ceasefire. Put down your weapons. Be still. Stop fighting for a second and know that I'm God. It's the sense we get in the word Sabbath. It's not just simply taking a nap. Sabbath means this from Psalm 46, really quickly. If you want to take these down, this is the time to write notes. Sabbath is simply this it's a statement that God is my fortress. It's a statement that God is my fortress. Oh, if something else is your fortress, Sabbath feels, for one, you don't Sabbath, you don't stop, you don't stop fighting, you don't stop working. When something else is your fortress, not only you don't, you don't Sabbath, but Sabbath feels like a sin. Any of you have a hard time stopping and resting? Consider where your fortress is. It feels like a sin. 
Because in those times, those margins of life, it's where we bolster our fortress. When my cousin Rachel is here, when we were kids, we used to build sandcastles and the waves would destroy the sandcastles. And every, every, every restful period, we'd have to like bolster it. Like keep, keep working on that sandcastle to build up that fortress that exists. It's the time to do extra work on my job so that it doesn't crumble. It's the time to spend more time with, uh, with this person so that relationship doesn't crumble. But you understand what I'm saying? Sabbath is a declaration that God is my fortress because I'm taking my hands off. Secondly, Sabbath is a practice of looking up. In verse 8, it says, come behold the works of the Lord, and he goes through all of the things that God has done. Sabbath, being still before God, is a place to look up at God. It's saying, come behold everything he's done. It's a taking your eyes off of what you've got to do and placing, on, placing them on what God has done. This past Thursday, those who were joining me for Thursday morning prayer, we were in Psalm 57, and it says these words, awake the dawn, look up, his faithfulness reaches to the clouds, and to begin every morning in gratitude for what God has done. That's what Sabbath it means is to stop looking this way and look up. Thirdly, Sabbath means foreshadowing of ultimate peace and rest. See, a church that Sabbaths well gives promise of what can be and what ultimately will be. A church that is comfortable with being still, it gives promise to what can be where there is peace and joy and rest that exists and what ultimately will be. I think as a church, sometimes we get confused. What is compelling to our world is what is, is going to be found in what we do. Maybe what is more compelling is, what, is how we rest. Because it points to what our fortress is. The last thing is this. The end, Sabbath is this, being still before God, the end of uncreation. It means the end of uncreation and the restoring of a new creation. Being still and knowing that, you, that he is God, that practice is a practice of the end. It's a promise or at the end of hostility and chaos that exists in your own heart. As we consider the storms in our own lives, we consider when God spoke, not just in scripture, but God spoke in a person. That when God spoke, not just in his word, but what came true was in a person named Jesus. That when storms broke out around him, he had the authority to say, quiet, be still. He was able to restore creation in a world that was uncreated or chaotic. And if Jesus can do that to a storm, what can he do in my own heart? God, thank you so much for your word. It's a challenge to, is God my fortress? Everything else is on shifting sand or it's on shaky ground. Lord, I admit, you're often not my fortress. I admit, my fortress is often my family. My fortress is often this church. And the result of that, God, is I'm never still. I've always got to do more to bolster those fortresses.
I can never rest. I can never have peace because I've always got to do more. Lord, may my fortress be in you alone. That everything else might give way in life. The only way to respond, to not respond to panic, Lord, may as a church, that may that be our fortress. May you be our fortress. You are the one who never changes, who will never give way, who will always be there as a present help for any trouble in life. Lord, if there are any here today that have not given their heart to you, there's still other fortresses in their life, but there's a storm in their heart. Lord, as you calm the storm and say, quiet, be still. Lord, right now I pray that they would turn to you and that you would speak to their own hearts and say, quiet, be still. And no matter what is going on in this world, no matter what may be going on in this world around us, that we can rest. We can find joy. We can have peace. God, we love you. Pray for all these things in your great name. Amen.